All right, back to the book of Acts tonight. We'll be in Acts chapter number 20 again. Acts chapter number 20. Thank you, men. And I always enjoy the music, and uh, certainly it helps uh, to have the right kind of music. And uh, when they're actually pretty good at it, too, that helps, too. And I always enjoy uh, the music. Acts chapter number 20, I want to be very practical uh, this evening. Uh, we preached from this uh, passage this morning, and I'm going to do so again tonight. And uh, just some reminders for us. And uh, some, some of the most basic things are, I believe, some of the things that we need to go over very often. Uh, because we live in a wicked world. We live in a world that does not have God's philosophy. It does not have to see things from God's viewpoint. And when you live in it, some things uh, begin to change our thinking if we're not careful. We'll get accustomed to certain uh, things. And so there's a lot of things that <clears throat> are very simple. We know them. I think it's good for us to be reminded. That's why I think it was good for us to take 29 sermons on the Great Commission. I say the average Christian knows about the Great Commission, can probably articulate the Great Commission, uh, but it's important for us to be reminded how important the Great Commission is. And uh, certainly when it comes to God's church, as I already mentioned tonight, aren't you thankful for salvation? Uh, if you're saved, you ought to be excited about it. If you're not excited about it, you got to ask, are you really saved? Or why aren't you excited about it? Uh, the, the, the fact that we have been saved from hell. But are you thankful for your church? And I thank God for my church. I thank God for the local church. Christians say, Pastor, what do you think about Christians who don't have a church like the Emmanuel Baptist Church? I feel sorry for them. Uh, I feel sorry for them. Uh, why? Because we, we're blessed. Uh, we're blessed to have the church that we have, and certainly God's church uh, is needed in this day. And Christian, you need the church. This idea today that Christians don't need the church, it did, that did not come from heaven. If it didn't come from heaven, you seem like a smart crowd. You can figure out where that philosophy came from. Uh, Christians need the house of God. And certainly you know that because you're here on a Sunday night and uh, you're here uh, looking forward to what God has for us. Acts chapter number 20, uh, we're going to look in the same passage of Scripture. I'm going to begin with verse number 17. And I'll read down uh, tonight, and we read this this morning, but I'll read down uh, through verse number 31 again. And we will take our message from this passage, but look at a few different things this evening. <clears throat> verse number 17 of Acts chapter number 20. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. All right, the Apostle Paul is now coming to Ephesus, and he has called together uh, the elders, the pastors, if you will, of the church. Verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by, the living, by lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, <clears throat> but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my, my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God." And now, behold, I behold, no, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood." For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This morning we looked at this passage and we spent our time uh, focusing on kind of Paul's testimony of ministry. We saw some things that motivated him in ministry. 
I remind you, and just in case you weren't in here this morning serving in some other area, uh, Paul this morning spoke of uh, the, the, the persecutions in this, in this passage and uh, those that lied in wait, the, the beatings he endured. And he mentioned <clears throat> none of these things move me. That he is going to continue and he wants to finish his <clears throat> course. And we saw this morning that we all have a responsibility to ministry. But I want to narrow this down a little bit this evening. We're going to look at uh, the latter part of what we read. And I want to remind you that in verse number 17, who he is speaking to. He has called together the elders or the pastors of the churches of Ephesus. He has been instrumental in establishing those churches. He's been instrumental in helping them grow. Uh, they're not named, the pastors are not named, but knowing the ministry of the Apostle Paul, we can draw some conclusions of how, how much of an impact and influence he had in establishing these churches. It would be safe to say these churches would not exist without the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And as, they, they, as he spends this time with them and he tells them, I'm not going to see you again. I'm moving on to what God has for me. This will be the last time. What a tender time that must have been. We touched on it this morning at the end of this chapter, how he, he says, I'm not going to see anymore. And he, he's going to give them some admonition, which we're going to look at tonight. And they pray together and, they, and, they, and with heavy hearts, they escort him to his ship and they watch him sail away, knowing this man who God has used to make such a difference in their life in their family, in their churches, they'll never see again. And the, the tenderness that is there. So I, I lay all that foundation again because it gives important context to what we're going to look at tonight, of who Paul is speaking to. Uh, the, the heaviness that certainly was in his heart as he moved on to what God had for him in his life and the care that he had for these men and more importantly, the, the, the care that he had for the churches that these men were the pastors of. And the importance of the people that sat in those churches as that flame of the gospel got lit in these places. And men began to be saved and families began to be saved and transformed. And so we're going to look at this tonight. And I just have a simple title of Paul's Reminders to the pastors at Ephesus. Paul is going to give some reminders to these pastors, and it's going to be important reminders for us to see tonight in some simple, basic things that we probably all know, but we need to be reminded of. I think they'll be a help to us. Father, help us again as we look into your word. I pray that uh, this will be a good reminder for your church, uh, an important reminder for your church, some things that we need to consider, we need to be reminded of, and Father, I pray that uh, uh, this would just strengthen your people. It would help your people, encourage your people, remind us of the important task we have to reach the people around us. And uh, yes, it's important for us to send the missionaries and to uh, send the gospel message around the world as we do. But it's also important for us to uh, strengthen our church so that we can reach our neighbors and our co-workers and those around us. And Father, I pray that you continue to bless your people, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've given a little bit of the background, the backdrop, if you will, in this chapter in the book of Acts, we're going to narrow down in this conversation as he gets these pastors together uh, who he knew he influenced. In many cases, certainly he probably won them to Christ and, and trained them. He had been there several years, and certainly they, they thought very well of the Apostle Paul, and they had great affection in their heart for him. And he gathers them together, and he reminds them of many things. Why would he remind them that none of these things move him, that the persecution is not moving him, not deterring them? One, I'm sure it did him good to say that, to say, say out loud, I'm not going to quit no matter what I face, and, and to put himself in that place knowing that these people depended on him. It did them good to hear him say that because certainly at any time you try and do something for the Lord, you're going to face uh, opposition. You're going to face persecution, if you will. And good for them to know that Paul's not moving. Paul's not quitting. And you don't quit either. And you stay at it as well. It was good for him to, to talk to them and, and see them one more time before he moved on 
to what God had, knowing that his life and ministry, the end was coming to, was approaching. For him to see them one time and to spend time with them and, and to, to encourage them and to encourage himself. In the midst of that, I want us to see in verse number 28. Now bear in mind, the Apostle Paul had a personal relationship with these pastors. But also I want us to bear in mind that he's reminding them of their responsibility. He's going to instruct them in how they should instruct their people. And I want to bring this out tonight because I want you to understand that your pastor has the same instruction of how to instruct the people. And when we are on God's page, everything works out pretty well. God blesses. God does the things that God says he's going to do. So I want us to pay attention very closely. As we see verse 28, there's first two words as he speaks to these men. He says, take heed, pay attention, take a hold of, understand your responsibility. And certainly, it's good instruction today for pastors, for those shepherds, for those uh, who have that responsibility to take heed. But it's a good reminder for God's church, which tonight we are all part of God's church, aren't we? To take heed, to pay attention to take hold of. I spoke this morning about investing, being invested in the work of God, being fully invested in the ministry, being fully invested uh, in God's church. He said, take heed, pay attention, and he's going to remind them of some things that I want to remind us of tonight. And I think it'll be a good reminder for us as we are about halfway through, a little past halfway through this year, and what we're trying to accomplish for the Lord. And so we want to see these things tonight. Number one, uh, we want to notice that he reminds them that Christ is the owner of the church. Look at verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Christ is the owner of the church. Christ, we saw this, we talked about the Great Commission. He's the, he's the, he's the founder. He's the cornerstone. Uh, he's the owner. Uh, he, he's the, sh- the shepherd. Uh, he's the overseer. He's all of those things. It is Christ's church. It belongs to him. That's what a lot of this world can't understand is, well, what, what committee do, do you answer to? Well, we answer to God. Well, well, well what philosophy are you? We answer to God. Well, no, I mean, what, what group of, of men, what flesh and blood, they don't understand that this church <clears throat> belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we serve to please him. We serve to honor him. It belongs to him. That's why, and he's going to admonish them, take heed, don't change. You know why? It's not their church to change. This church has been an old-fashioned, Bible-preaching, independent Baptist church for decades. It's going to stay that way with God as my helper as long as I'm the pastor. Say, well, you know, the, the world's changing. God hasn't. Just because your company went woke, just because the government's gone woke, just because uh, education's gone woke, God hasn't gone woke. And I, I, I get weary of men changing God's church like it's theirs. It's not their church. This isn't your church. Well, Pastor, I think we got to do something different. I don't care uh, what color uh, the walls are per se. I don't care even what shape the building is, as you can tell. I mean, I, I, I don't care about any of those things. What I care about is, is, is Christ honored when we meet together. Is he welcome? It's his church. Say, what, do you, what are we, what, what we going to do in the music program? Have music that honors him? Well, you have to change your music to appeal to this world. I'm not trying to appeal to this world. I'm trying to appeal to the owner of the church, the founder of the church. Well, you've gotta, we've got to change some things so that the world feels more welcome. That's not, I didn't find the church. 
You know, from time to time, there'll be businessmen who'll come along and say, well, I think the church needs to do A and B and C. And if that's the way you want to run your business, that's fine. You founded it. You invested in it. You put your blood, sweat, and tears in it. That's good. But Jesus purchased this church with his own blood. He is the owner. The book of Jude reminds us that there's a common salvation. That doesn't mean it's ordinary. It means that everybody who's saved is saved the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got something that's not that common salvation, you don't have salvation. It, that, the book of Jude also reminds us that it was once delivered to the saints. Jesus delivered the faith once. He hasn't come and delivered another one. So we must adhere to the faith that has been delivered. Why? Because he is the owner of the church. So, Pastor, I have an opinion about some things. Well, if it, if it has nothing to do with what, what Christ has established in the church, let's hear it. But when it comes to the matters of what Christ has established, there's no debate, there's no discussion. Well, should we change the, 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 the standards that we've had? Should we change the music that we have? Should we, have, should we change the, the format and the, and, and the Bible that we use and all these things? Should we, should we change all that thing to make it less controversial? Um, it's not my church. It's not your church. It's Christ's church. That he allows us to be a part of. Why? Because he's purchased us with his blood. This is just a good reminder for you and I because there is that pressure we live in in this world. Of this should be different and that should be different. And I touched on this uh, th- this morning. And, and, my, and my father brought, we were on the way to lunch today, that I mentioned that the day may come where if you preach that there's two genders, uh, you might try and get charged with hate speech. Or you preach the fact that marriage is a man and a woman. And that's it. You might get charged with hate speech one day. And apparently there's some pastors who got arrested in Canada for saying that same thing. And I mentioned the fact that Paul would say, none of this moves me. Say, well, we're going to have to be more inclusive. Aren't you thankful that salvation is the most inclusive thing? That, that, that man will ever know and experience. It doesn't matter what your race, what your nationality, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, no matter what sins you've done, the bad, really, really bad ones or the ones that aren't so bad and you categorize that, the really bad ones are what somebody else did and the not so bad are what you did, but they're all bad in God's sight. Aren't you thankful that salvation is all-inclusive? And anybody can be part of Christ's church who wants to be part of Christ's church. Truth of the matter is, there's some that don't want to be part of his church. But it's just a good reminder for you and I tonight that Christ is the owner of the church. Uh, we can't change what we do not own. We don't have that authority. Number two, Paul reminds that the pastor is the overseer of the church. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which... The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, there's a lot that we read into Scripture that is not there. There's a lot that we take take out of Scripture that is there. Now, when Paul says, take heed because you're the overseer, there's no record of a deacon board being there with him. Now, I'm thankful for the deacons we have. They're servants, as they should be. You know, there's no record. These men even had their wives there. There was no committees there. And Peter certainly establishes this in in 1 Peter, when it's established as the pastor is the overseer. Now, we've already established that Christ is the owner. But the pastor is the overseer. See, Pastor, why do you remind us of this? And certainly, I know we know this, and certainly, I know this church is on board with this, but it's good for us to be reminded of God's order 
and God's plan because that's what God blesses. We have, we have a Bible college here. We have men who are training for ministry, and they'll hear all the, the naysayers out there and say, a man shouldn't have any authority in the church. And, of course, that's trickled down to the home and to where man shouldn't have any authority. Look at where that's got, uh, got us today. But God has a, a, a set establishment. The pastor is the overseer of the church. Now, I remind you that Paul has already acknowledged that he was willing to take upon himself the responsibility with the office. The responsibility with the position, if you will. And he has given the testimony that I've got no blood on my hands. I've preached the gospel. I've not done any man wrong. I've done what I am supposed to do when it comes to you and every man that I've come in contact with. There's a responsibility with that. I have found that the greatest critics of a, of a, of a, of a pastor by Bible definition are those who want a say. They're like Diotrephes who in, 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 in the book of 3 John. They want the position, but they don't want any responsibility, have no care for the people. Be careful giving your heart to somebody who doesn't care about you, doesn't care about your family, doesn't pray for them, doesn't put it all on the line for that church. And he reminds them that they are the overseer. I find it very interesting the way Paul says this. Notice in verse 28. Therefore, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. See, I, I, as the pastor of this church, I know I have a responsibility. I don't answer to you per se, I answer to him. And some people have a problem with that. Can I just say, from a human standpoint, I'd rather face you than him in my human limitations. He will hold the pastor responsible. But I find it interesting that he says, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. You know who put these pastors in their place? The Holy Ghost did. And if the Holy Ghost put these pastors in their place, I think it would be safe to say that the Holy Ghost is still putting pastors in the place of in the office of the pastor. See, when I was young, it, I was saved. You know my testimony. I was saved very, very young. And by the way, I've been saved ever since then. Amen. At six years of age, I remember the call to preach on my life. I didn't know what it was, but I knew. I, I didn't know exactly everything about, it, but I knew exactly what God was saying to me. And I, I surrendered my life to preach the gospel. And there are people today who may or may not, like my preaching, may want to tell me what I should preach and shouldn't preach. But my thought to that is, you weren't there when I was called to preach. The Holy Ghost was. I remember it very distinctly. I, was, I always knew that I was called to preach. I, 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 you know, God made it obvious that I would, I would come back from Bible college and work on staff here. But I never had in my mind that I would be the pastor one day. I didn't know that I would pastor. I just knew I was called to preach, wanted to be in the ministry, happy to serve. But I remember very distinctly God working my heart and calling me to be a pastor. I knew that that's something that God had for me. That's something the Holy Ghost did. Uh, when my father decided to retire from the pastorate and the church called me to be pastor and voted on me to be the pastor. Um, those of you, I mean, I think it was a 97% vote or something like that. That's even better than Donald Trump got. I mean, all right. Not quite as good as Joe Biden got, but it's better than Donald, Donald Trump got. You were just confirming what the Holy Ghost has already established. Say, and by the way, you have a better pastor when he's following the Holy Ghost, than a committee. 
when he's following the Holy Ghost, and I can say this, and I have no problem saying it, then, then his wife's orders or his, you really got to be thankful for this, or his teenage daughter's orders, uh, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that separates, that, that ordination that we, that we do as a church, that we find the pattern in the book of Acts. It's, a, it's, a, it's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost setting apart. We've lost the respect for the office of the pastor. And I know what all the excuses are. Well, I know some pastors that, well, well that's, that's in, in, that's, you can't excuse the wrongdoings of a pastor, but it doesn't change what God has said about the office. And what God has established as the overseer of the ministry. That leads me to number three. As we see in that same verse, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. I say number three, the pastor must lead himself and lead the flock. I've said this to you many times through the 10 years I've been your pastor. Often I'll get up and I'll preach something and I'll be very pointed. And it'll be one of those messages that makes us feel uncomfortable because, you know, we are flesh. Uh, we do have our shortcomings. I mean, we, we, all, we all act like we're perfect, but... I hate to break this to us tonight. We're not. We all have our struggles spiritually. So sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll make some points that are very pointed, and I'll say something like this. Long before I brought this message to the pulpit, the Spirit of God has preached this to me. I've had to deal with it in my own life. Your pastor is not a perfect man. No amens right there. But it's true. Uh, the pastor is flesh just in blood, just like you are. I have to have the leading of the Holy Spirit in my own life. I have to continue to grow as a Christian. When, you, when I became your pastor, I hadn't reached the status of, well, that's as, that's as much as he's ever going to go. I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I wasn't growing, if I wasn't getting closer to him. I've said as we several times, I've said again this morning as we got into this year and the goals that we set that were very aggressive and very large to double our church attendance on Sunday morning, to give an additional million dollars to our building program. Those are big things. And I knew that before I could say that to you, that God would have to do something in my own heart, my own life, what it would require of me. Before you can lead anybody else, you have to lead yourself. This is where some, and listen very carefully, because I know there's many here who, who are preparing for the ministry. Well, pa Pastor just, he likes to decide who can be in the ministry and who cannot be in the ministry. That's not true. That's not for me to decide. I don't call anybody. That's the Holy Ghost. But I do know that if you cannot oversee yourself, you can't oversee anybody else. If you can't make yourself show up to work, how in the world are you going to pastor a church? If you can't make yourself do what you're supposed to do when it comes to study of the Word of God and, and service and ministry, how in the world are you going to serve somebody else? And he does not just say, lead the flock. He says, lead yourselves. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. And the pastor has a responsibility to lead himself. I'm not going to ask you to grow if I'm not growing. I'm not going to ask you to go where I'm not willing to go. Matter of fact, I find myself dragging a lot of people along with me. Why? Because there's something that as God's church we want to do and accomplish together. But it's the responsibility of the pastor to lead himself and lead the flock. It's my responsibility to use the office that God has placed me in, the life that God has created for me to serve Him. It is, it is my responsibility to lead you as a church to do more for the cause of Christ. We will criticize our politicians, and rightfully so, for in their leadership position, taking our country backwards. But why are the average Christians content with a pastor that will do that? 
We'll say, well, well, as our politicians, we want them to, to, to take us to new heights and to, and to do more for, as a nation. But when it comes to spiritual leadership and a pastor that'll say, I want your family to grow. I want your children to be all that they can be for God. And, and if God will use them in, in, in full-time service, I want them to use them in full-time service. If, if there's some capacity that they can be used in as your family, I want to see you grow and I want to see you do more for the cause of Christ. And when your ministry's done and when your course has run, I want you to be able to look back and say, look at what God did for us. Look at what we accomplished as a family. Look at how we served him. We had a part in sending missionaries around the world. We had a part with seeing people saved. We had a part with seeing God do some miraculous thing. It's the pastor's responsibility to lead you to spiritual growth. Growth, you don't grow by being comfortable. Well, we joke about it now, but we're not through the year yet, so I'm going to keep talking about it. When I said, Mr. God, it's double portion year, and we're going to double our church attendance. Amen. Y'all remember that? Let's do it, Pastor. And I said, it's just one, it's just everybody reaching one person, and it's done. Let's just, let's just do that by next Sunday, and we're done with it. Then I said, oh, yeah. Double portion, I think we got to give double what we've already committed to the building program. And there's the wind sucked out of the room. There, there it is. What was it? It's uncomfortable. Preaching on the Great Commission and the reminder, and boy, I've got to get, it makes us uncomfortable. I was, this past week, I, coming off a of vacation, there's, there's, there's a couple of church members I was texting back and forth, giving some counsel through text, and, 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 and you could tell in this one situation that God is working in the heart and the life of this individual, and they're, they're uncomfortable with life and where they are in the situation. And finally, my counsel to them was, you need to step back and take an inventory of your life and see what it is that God is dealing with you. Maybe there's something that God is trying to say. Let's, let's get that out of your life. And there may be an area that God is working in your life because he wants you to serve in a greater way. And what I said was something to this degree. When you're uncomfortable, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're heading in the wrong direction or you're doing things that you should not be doing because growth is uncomfortable. If you think back to those children that come back and say, my, my, my shins hurt, my legs hurt. And doctors say, oh, those are growing pains. Whether that's real or not, I don't know. But growth is not comfortable. Understand, I want to remind you, if the leadership your pastor provides is not always comfortable, it's not supposed to be. Because we have to grow. But it also reminds you that Paul reminds these pastors, you got to lead yourself before you can lead anybody else. And this is good for me to bring up because if you, in any area of leadership, we have, we, have, we, have, we have a lot of leadership in our church in different capacities and all the different ministries we have. You have to lead yourself before you can lead anybody else. And if you have a desire to do more for the cause of Christ, where do I start? Lead yourself. Lead yourself. This is how I can tell with those who have a desire to minister. And there's some that I believe the Lord will use in, in our ministry. Uh, and, and, I, and I keep a watch on that. And I'm always looking for as the ministry grows. And, and what do we need as a ministry? And this is how I can tell when they're just about ready when they can lead themselves. Because before they can lead anybody else, that's how I know when a young man is ready to get married. Not when he finds a woman. I mean, look around, and there's a lot of people who can do that. It's when they can lead themselves. And sometimes it's like, well, they just won't lead yourself. Uh, then I say number four. Paul continues to say to them in verse 29, for I know this. Why is he telling them the things that he's already told them? In verse 28, you better take heed, pay attention, take hold of. 
unto yourselves and to the flock that you lead. He reminds them this is Christ's church. He purchased it with his blood. Think about the responsibility, the weight. This is Christ's church that he purchased with his own blood. We've all sacrificed for God's church so that we can do more for the cause of Christ. But none of us have shed our blood as Christ did. He reminds them of the importance of what they're doing in their service. Why is that? Because he continues in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing, he's already told them this is the last time you're going to see me. I'm going to leave. Paul had invested in them. If you'll permit me to use this word, he had babysat them in their new birth in Christ, the new churches getting born. He was their security blanket. His presence gave them security. He says, for I know this, that as soon as I leave, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. You, they don't love the flock like you love the flock. Like Christ loves the flock. Verse 30, also of your own selves. Will you think about this? As he's looking at these, these pastors. They're pastors of different churches in Ephesus. Just from the outside, it's going to come in, but from among you. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So be very careful of somebody who's looking for their own following. Be very careful of somebody who would want to get in between the pastor and you, and you, you follow them, and that's why social media is such a dangerous thing, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I haven't even given you point four yet. I'll come back to point number four when I make this point. You have a pastor. You're looking at him. That YouTube guy ain't your pastor. The podcast man ain't your pastor. Uh, so somebody else's spiritual talk, they're not your pastor. You have a pastor. Be careful. Let me give you point number four. The church is vulnerable and must be protected. Here, mine says, men, the flock is vulnerable. They're vulnerable because there's grievous wolves. There's those from the outside who are going to enter in. Boy, as a pastor today, you really, you've always had to be vigilant, but you really must be vigilant because what's on the outside can find its way on the inside without ever coming through the doors. We live in the day of the Internet and social media and all of those things. Part of the responsibility of the pastor is that under-shepherd, and he's to care for the flock, and he's to watch for those grievous wolves who don't care anything about you. They don't care about your future. Your, your, they have an agenda. And he says the church is vulnerable, must be protected. Don't, 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 don't try and... Read into, don't try and judge the motives of your pastor, if you will, when he's just trying to protect you and your family. I've talked about this sermon this morning. It's God has put me, you think God wants to take care of you? Absolutely he does. You think God wants your children to be, be, be kept away from the things that will destroy them? Absolutely he does. Doesn't it just make sense to them that God will give the pastor some discernment? Through the word of God are some things that would hurt the flock. And when there's a warning against teaching, when there's that warning against the contemporary movement, there's warning against the things that even other independent Baptists seem to be going down those trails, you need to just trust the pastor that God has given you and understand that there are some from the outside who want to come in the inside 
and they have a purpose of hurting you. Ravis, you know, this is what he said. He says they're, they're grievous wolves. Make them sound nice. Well, they really have no intention. They're grievous wolves. Can you, can, can you, do you get a positive picture in your mind with that? These grievous wolves probably smile like Joel Osteen. Said all the right things. I just want you to be happy. Boy, you, y'all listen. The, the, the pastor, he says, he says, as soon as I leave, they're coming. They're coming. The church is vulnerable from the outside. The church is also vulnerable from the inside. Notice what he says of your own selves. To draw away disciples after them. As I've already mentioned, let me mention it again. Be mindful of those who would try and recruit people of their, to think like them, to rally to their cause. There's one cause of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's the Great Commission. It's to honor Christ. It's His church. There is no other cause. And you know who leads the cause? It's by God's design. The pastor does. Always and right now, I don't know of any issues we have in our church. I don't know of any problems that we have with this. And one of the reasons why we don't is when I sniff it out. I'm very calculated, but I will take care. I will warn against the wolves that would harm the church. So I don't know of anything that's going on. This is just a reminder. Watch for those who try and draw disciples to themselves, because as your pastor, I'm not even trying to draw followers to me. I'm trying to point others to Christ. Now, I have a scriptural responsibility to set an example that can be followed. I'll just say this, and if you don't agree, that's okay. I think it's better for the little boys to want to be like pastor than they are LeBron James. I'm a better shooter anyway, but... I think, I think it's better for the, the, the young ladies to want to be like the pastor's wife than Taylor Swift. I, th- I think that's a little bit better. So there is some example to be, to be, be, there is some responsibility to be an example. But we're an example so that others can see Christ in us. Church is vulnerable and must be protected. He says, men, this is what's going to happen. And I think it's good for us, to, it's me, good for me to be reminded as your pastor. But it's good for the church to be reminded. There are those out there that just want to hurt this church. And we've seen it through the years. We have a promise from God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So who fights our battles? God does. There's nothing on the outside that can stop God's church. That's why those on the outside will try and get on the inside. So you need to be wary of that. We also need to stay humble and be reminded that we're just sinners saved by the grace of God. No matter where you serve, you're just a sinner saved by the grace of God. Will you sing in that choir? It's a privilege to sing in that choir. But you're just a sinner saved by the grace of God. There's men who sit on the pulpit, sit on the platform and saying just a few moments ago. They're just sinners. I think some of them are saved by the grace of God. (laughs) Let us not get too full of ourselves to think more of ourselves than we are. Where we go outside of what God has established and get our own agenda and get our own ideas of the things that should take place in God's church. We touched on this this morning as Paul gives these admonishments and these reminders. He reminds them 
He says in verse 51, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. You see, guys, watch. Now look for what I've just told you. And remember, this is what I did for you when you were vulnerable. I didn't hold anything back. I warned you when you need to be warned. Part of that warning could have been a rebuke. It could have been a teaching session. So I did it with tears, with compassion, with love, with care. You know, what Paul is saying is sometimes, and those, there's many here who have pastored, you understand this. There are many moments when you care more enough about that person's future than they actually care about their future. He says, I've done it with tears. Now he's saying, you watch. And what I've done for you, you have to do for your flock. And no matter who you are tonight, where you are in your Christian life, you got here because you had to make some decisions. At least with some things in your life, you had to say, these things don't move me. The, 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 the working of Satan doesn't move me. The hard times, it doesn't move me. We've all, had, we've all had to make those decisions. But all of us would have to say, if we're honest, there have been other Christians in our life that God placed that looked out for me. And certainly God gives you a pastor to teach you, to instruct you, and part of that is looking out for you. What God is growing our church and He is sending, and we're a good reminder that it's Him that builds the church. We're to give the gospel, He builds the church, and certainly God's building our church. But if we change some things, you know what we could do? We could swell. but then we'd die. So that really happened. One day, get in the car and I'll drive you to church campuses that swelled when men decided they knew more about God's church than the founder knew, the owner knew. They swelled. They became popular and the world patted them on the back but they're dead. Maybe be reminded. Well, I, I, if you're looking for a church that's going to compromise and change with God as my helper, that ain't going to happen here. Amen. One, because it's His. But also, I'm very aware that I didn't get here without other people looking out for me along the way. God gave me good parents, God gave me a pastor. God gave me other people in my life along certain times to be a positive influence. As a preacher's kid, you know, you always look at your, 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 your you look at the pastor as, as dad more than anything else, but God put other people in my life who are part of this church to, to, to give that example and to be a positive influence. And it's like, I hear Brother Chitty, John Chitty say this all the time. He's like, if you ever see a, something like this, I don't, I don't understand all he says, but if you ever find a turtle on a fence post, know they didn't get there by himself. And all of us have grown our Christian life because somebody's cared enough about us. Now, in with a couple of applications, um, we ought to be grateful for that. But there's somebody else that we can do that for. And Paul says, now what I've done for you it's your responsibility to do for the flock that God has given you. And certainly that's a good reminder for your pastor, but it's a good reminder for all of us. That somebody, aren't you thankful somebody gave you the gospel so you could be saved? Amen. Then go give it to somebody else. Aren't you thankful that you look back in your life and there was somebody there for you at the right time? God used them in your life. Go do that for somebody else. These are good reminders. This is God's church. 
Oh, pa- Pastor, how come things aren't moving as fast as we want? Well, we got to talk to him about that. Uh, what are we going to do? Well, we got to talk to him. It's his, his. And certainly I'm thankful. That, and I'll just use this very quickly as the overseer. God is going to hold me accountable for every Sunday school class. God's going to hold me accountable for everything that's done in the ministry of this church. He's going to hold me accountable for our Christian school, for our Bible college, for everything that is done. And as the overseer, that's why when it comes to that, it's like, you know, Brother Montgomery, you, you do the music. You're standing in my stead because I'm not leading the music. And so on and so forth. That's why if you're put in that stead, you need to understand something. There's responsibility that comes with that. Because God's going to hold me accountable as the overseer. And he's going to say, if I'm going to hold you accountable for what that person who stands in your stead does, rest assured I'm going to have a say who that person is that stands in my stead. We have responsibility to his church. Aren't you thankful for his church? You know what would change, and I've said this, and we know this, and we'll, just, we'll, we'll go to invitation with this. What would change our nation is not a political revolution. But if we got back to the old time, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Let's put Bibles back into public schools. There wouldn't be gender confusion then, would there? Let's get the Bible back in our society. It'd make a big difference. We can bemoan about the good old days. But friend, let us take the responsibility to take what we have. Let's be grateful for what we have. Let's take the opportunity we have. Others don't have the church we have, but we have it. What are we doing with what God has given us? Father, help us tonight as we consider these truths. I pray that you would strengthen your church by what's said tonight.